swept away on the Capilano River. The rush of water that led to a treacherous rescue. Distraction thieves targeting seniors. She could have easily got killed. The search for suspects in a crime caught on camera. And the abduction of young Abby Drover. I'm very worried about him getting out of jail. How her disappearance and eventual rescue became the 1970s crime of the decade. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with the latest on that breaking news we told you about at 5. It's happening on the North Shore. A dramatic rescue at the Capilano River this afternoon. Yeah, we have heard that a number of people were swept into the water there. We're going to go live to Aaron MacArthur with the details on this, Aaron. Sadly, we know at least one person that was swept away has died. Yeah, that's right, Chris. One death here being confirmed this afternoon at five people swept into the water. The cause of it all, an inadvertent leak, uh, release of water from the Cleveland Dam. It looks like a trickle now that wasn't the case this afternoon. The water tore down the Capilano Canyon. People who were fishing in the river report hearing it like a freight train coming through the canyon. Five people were swept into the river. Emergency health services say two people managed to self-rescue. Two others were plucked from the water by North Shore rescue volunteers. And as we mentioned, one person has died. That body almost at the mouth of the Capilano River, now in the custody of the coroner's service. People who were fishing in the river at the time. People Quickly, I fish here quite often, so I know they would sound the alarm. So you would hear something going on. It's very much like someone's bombing the city, that kind of warning. And today there's nothing, no warning whatsoever at all. The water just came right up and it was really fast. Now, we, I have just spoken to Jerry Jobrovoni, the CEO at Metro Vancouver. He tells me that the unexplained release of water was caused by a maintenance issue. They were performing maintenance on the dam and somehow the drum gate opened, pouring that water into the canyon. He is expected on scene here in the next 15 to 20 minutes. We will get an update from him as well as the RCMP. We will have the latest on this situation throughout the evening. Chris, That is, that is a very popular place for fishermen and, uh, and others who enjoy to fish there. Thanks very much, Aaron. More coverage throughout the evening. Well, Global News has learned more about the American owner of a bed and breakfast on the U.S.-Canada border who's been fighting Canadian charges of helping people illegally enter Canada. Robert Boulay is also in Washington State Court fighting U.S. border guards on another matter. And those court documents reveal shocking allegations that he might have been playing both sides of the fence. Paul Johnson has the exclusive details. From the beginning, the Robert Boulay story felt more like crime fiction than news. The elderly proprietor of the Smugglers Inn getting charged with smuggling. People in this case, who our own news cameras appear to have captured in broad daylight, crossing from his Blaine property over to Zero Avenue in Canada. Where are you from? I can't speak. Boulay is facing 21 charges of human smuggling. But while that case winds its way through the Canadian courts, a different case in a federal court in Seattle has produced this bombshell. 
a heavily blacked out report by Homeland Security that says Mr. Boulay stated that he's been assisting the Border Patrol since about 2003, providing their intelligence unit with information about his guests, which has resulted in numerous arrests. Other parts of that report talk about Boulay saying he picked up a Turkish man at SeaTac Airport, drove him to Blaine, and provided the identifying information to Immigration and Customs Enforcement Special Agent Blank, as per the arrangement between Mr. Boulay, ICE, and CBP Border Patrol. So was there an arrangement? Customs and Border Patrol told Global News that Boulay was not an informant for them. But the other agency, ICE, told Global no comment because it's in the courts and because they don't reveal the identities of informants. There are a lot of questions here. Richard Curland is a Vancouver immigration lawyer who says if Boulay was a smuggler and an informant, it raises some intriguing questions about the Canada-U.S. relationship. You can't have an American intelligence asset uh, participate in smuggling people into Canada. As for Boulay, the smuggling allegations against him have not been proven, and his American lawyer told Global News neither he nor Boulay are allowed to talk about his claims of being an informant, and whether he was indeed playing both sides of the fence. Paul Johnson, Global News. A North Vancouver neighborhood is on edge after a fatal shooting last night. One man has been killed and another taken to hospital in what homicide investigators are calling a targeted incident. Catherine Urquhart reports police are now trying to determine if this investigation is gang-related. It's just before 11 p.m. Wednesday when a chaotic scene unfolds in central Lonsdale. I was just about to fall asleep and then I heard... Um, some gunshots, and then I heard a fellow go, ah. Two men sitting in a vehicle at St. Andrews and 17th are shot. Dozens of officers arrive on scene and order neighbors to stay inside. I opened my bedroom window, and, uh, and then I could hear a fellow just over, two doors over, uh, screaming, and he was in a lot of pain. Iron Workers Memorial is closed during the hunt for suspects, but no one is found. There's cars parked in the parking spot off the lane where I normally park and that's where apparently there was a shooting. One of the victims survives, the other doesn't. Uh, his name is Ali Reza Seri. Uh, we're still trying to determine if this is uh, or this was gang related. Someone named Ali Reza Seri has an extensive criminal record but police aren't saying if it's the same person. I believe they're residents of Vancouver. So exactly why they were here, um, those are still unanswered questions that we have. Police are asking for help from witnesses and anyone with dash cam video of the shooting, which appears to be the latest gang violence in Metro Vancouver. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. BC posted an encouraging day of numbers today and testing also set a new record. We have 82 new confirmed COVID cases and here's the bright spot. 10,899 tests were conducted, which means our positivity rate is 0.75%. That is lower than our recent average. Total cases in BC now sit at 9,220. Sadly, we've had one more death, which means we've lost 235 people to the virus. Hospital numbers are down 
down, 69 in hospital, 19 in the ICU. 7,695 people are considered recovered, which leaves us with 1,261 active cases and just under 3,100 in isolation. And while some have expressed frustration with ongoing restrictions, Dr. Henry says the orders in place in B.C. are ones that address the risk that is the same everywhere. Our case counts are low, but those are the people we know about, and the, the risk is the same. And we've seen that across the province, where things pop up all over the place. So the settings where risk is highest are the settings where we have orders. And we have very few compared to many other places. Um, and it, it really is risk all around us. Um, that we need to be aware of as well. And we're seeing increased numbers of cases in Ontario, Quebec, as you know. Um, there's still uh, tremendous issues in Washington state. And this virus moves with people. So anytime people move, our risk comes with it. Well, when kids went back to school in September, the big concern was a spike in COVID cases. The latest numbers show that while the return to classroom learning hasn't become the super spreader event some had feared, cases involving school-aged children are up significantly. Jean Hua reports. At the start of the school year, it was another type of alarm that filled the air. I'm happy, but of course, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking about COVID. Some parents unsure about how COVID-19 could be contained, keeping their kids out of the classroom. I didn't like the idea of just being in a classroom with 20 other kids. Um, kids carry a lot of germs. Going to school is so important. And while BC's provincial health officer and the Ministry of Education tried to lay out strict protocols, parents say the past three weeks have shown best laid plans don't always work during a pandemic. How do you social distance, you know, a bunch of students? They don't social distance at lunch. Now, according to the BC Centre for Disease Control, the number of COVID-19 cases among children has gone up since the start of the school year. But let's take a look at the numbers. On the first day that kids were back in class on September 10th, there were 178 cases among children under 10 years old. On September 30th, that jumps up to 298, a 67% increase. For children between 10 and 19 years old, that's 354 on September 10th, 522 on September 30th. That is a 47% increase. The measures in place are not sufficient. We see, we've seen a real breakdown to the cohort model. It's, it's not functioning as it was intended to. On top of mandatory masks and better social distancing, the BCTF demanding for more transparency when it comes to school exposures. When we started sharing information about school exposures, our communications across the province were not fully aligned and we were working through those kinks. While Dr. Henry says the rise in numbers is proportionate with increased testing in that demographic, some parents say it's still a cause for concern. Right now it's sheer luck that there isn't more spread around in the schools than there already is. Still alarmed about how COVID-19 might spread over the rest of the school year. John Hua, Global News. The highly anticipated restart of Hollywood North has stalled for a number of productions with nearly a dozen of them on hold right now. As Ted Chernecki reports, a backlog of COVID testing and test results is keeping workers away from the set. From action to no action. That's the case in some of BC's many filming locations where a delay receiving COVID-19 test results is forcing the industry to temporarily suspend operations. The larger 
uh, series and things like that from the U.S. studios were affected by the fact that they couldn't get the test results back. A number of shows, therefore, had to pause. This is a recent development because productions that were first to ramp up didn't have that problem. So when we were up and running and doing active testing on a, on a weekly basis and more frequently for cast, uh, we were not running into delays. In some cases, we had results within 24 hours. But with school back and the second wave of COVID well underway, testing has ramped up, and that has resulted in a backlog at Life Labs, the private sector testing agency. The system is working, right? Um, when, when capacity became an issue, film productions went on hold, the ones that were testing a lot. Um, public testing takes full priority, obviously, and any industries or any other that are doing testing of people without symptoms do so after those people who are showing signs of illness. Global News has learned that high-level meetings between Ottawa, the province, and key players in the industry has resulted in a sudden hiring frenzy at Life Labs. In a statement, the company says, we are making additional investments to expand our testing capacity and anticipate returning to our standard turnaround times by the end of the week. Elizabeth Thatcher. That'll be welcome news because with a record number of productions happening in BC, this has been a golden opportunity for Canadian talent to make its mark. The shows that really could get going were ones that hired mostly Canadian cast, if not all Canadian cast. So um, I think there's uh, been certainly for talent, uh, a benefit. Actors and actresses who might not normally get key roles are suddenly getting chances. Same for the technical Still side. That money I gave you. It'll be a shame if something like COVID test results steals that opportunity. Ted Chernecki, Global News. And a major search is underway for a Hollywood North production manager who's been missing for a week. Members of the film community have arranged for a helicopter to help look for 49-year-old East Vancouver resident Darcy Wild. Police say Wild may have last been seen near Alice Lake, near Squamish, and was driving a 2015 black Lexus. Police, along with friends, family and co-workers, say Wild's disappearance is out of character and they're concerned for his well-being. Our concern is that um, you know, he, he suffered an accident in his vehicle, possibly you know, rolled down into a ravine or encountered a washed-out road possible he went on foot and then subsequently had an accident. So, you know, our, our focus right now is finding the, uh, the vehicle, which is a 2015 Lexus RX 350. It's black, and that's, that's going to inform uh, the ground search. Wild is 5 feet 10 inches tall, has a slim build. He was last seen wearing a black rain jacket with a gray shirt, jeans, black boots, and a red face mask. Friends and colleagues have started a GoFundMe page to help with the cost of the search. In the meantime, Wild's family is asking for privacy. Turning now to Decision BC, and it was promises, promises on the campaign trail today, with all three front-running parties making commitments to voters. But it was the Liberals' Andrew Wilkinson who struggled after being confronted with concerns over candidates and went on the offensive against an NDP opponent over voter fraud allegations. Richard Zussman has more. One day, three leaders, three promises. Because I had opportunity. John Horgan kicking off the morning at Langara College, promising to expand support for post-secondary students, receiving up to $4,000 for tuition, books and supplies. The threshold, the upper end on family income, uh, will be increased so that more uh, middle-income in families will be able to access the grant. Sonia first to know in the Greens in Sydney, laying out a vision for long-term care, including higher scrutiny around for-profit care providers. We have an aging population 
and we have to act with urgency on this issue. It is not acceptable. Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson talking tent cities, short on how he will fulfill a promise to get rid of urban park camping. There has to be a joint approach. The province has to work with mayors, it has to work with communities to come up with viable solutions. But it was other issues plaguing Wilkinson. More questions from NDP candidate Ravi Kalon about what the Liberal leader knew about allegations of voter fraud in Surrey and Wilkinson turning up the personal attacks in this video from a Liberal town hall Wednesday night. Ravi Kalon, who's the current NDP MLA for North Delta, is an aggressive, angry, corrosive divisive person in the legislature. I would be proud if my son acted the way Ravi Kalon does each and every day. Then there's this letter from more than 40 members of the community in Chilliwack asking the BC Liberals to remove Laurie Thronis as the candidate, concerned that he is transphobic and homophobic. There's really no place in the um, BC politics for any sort of discrimination, including um, support of conversion therapy. My family includes gay people and lesbian people. I love them. I treat them with the respect they deserve. More promises will be coming soon, with the platforms expected next week for each party and a chance for the Liberals to try to change the channel. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. All right, well, let's bring in Keith Baldry for more on how the parties are faring so far. That election day is coming up pretty fast. Keith, what are we seeing? Yeah, well, we're seeing the Liberals really stumble out of the gate here, as Richard recounts there. Andrew Wilkinson now has spent almost every day defending uh, a number of his candidates. I count at least five candidates who have said uh, or done uh, controversial or objectionable things. Uh, Marvin Hunt from Surrey Cloverdale had to apologize for a tweet of a a racist cartoon he put out there. Uh, So when a a, a leader is spending his time, his or her time, defending the candidates rather than laying out the platform and critiquing the other side, that's not a good sign. The Liberals have now faced six consecutive polls where the gap is significant significant between them and the NDP. Five candidates have put Wilkinson in trouble. If they don't change the pace here and pick it up, uh, it's going to be a very bleak day on October 24th for them. All right, we'll see what happens in the next few weeks. Keith, thank you. Thieves employing the art of distraction. Their crimes caught on camera and in this case, the victim, a defenseless 83-year-old woman. Why, that's not even the most disturbing fact in the case. In just under two minutes. An inside look at housing for the homeless and drug addicted and the unusual vending machine in the lobby. That's later on the news hour. And a new technique to tear down a home. How unbuilding is becoming the future of recycling a little later. Right now, though, police are warning about the rise of so-called distraction thefts after an incident Friday was captured by surveillance camera. As usual, thieves are targeting a senior who does not speak English. She's 83 years old. And as Nadia Stewart reports, that's not even the most disturbing fact in this case. Alex Fung and his family do not feel as safe as they once did in their East Vancouver neighborhood. Not since his 83-year-old mother was targeted by thieves. After this incident, we um, we are, I mean, sort of... uh losing our confidence. What happened to Fung's mother was caught on a neighbor's surveillance camera. She was walking home from the grocery store in the area of East 3rd Avenue and Renfrew Street on September 25th. An Asian couple in a gray Ford Escape stopped to speak with her. Vancouver police say this has all the hallmarks of a distraction theft. We notice these typically happen with either people that don't speak English or the elderly. And this isn't something new. But what is new is... 
case is who was in the car while the theft was taking place. Police say there was a young child in the back seat beside the suspect who was distracting Fung's mother and removing her jewelry. Everything about this is disturbing. Preying on the elderly, uh, having small children witness this, it's, it's disturbing. It's, it's disgusting, really. The thieves made off with a Rolex watch and a necklace. This incident happened um, on front of one of my clients' house. Victor Cruz installed the security cameras that captured the incident. He says they're lucky the lens had a view far beyond the front door. You know, a senior citizen shouldn't be worried about walking on the street during the day and being robbed. Now police are appealing for witnesses. She's uh, a bit worried after this incident and she's not willing to go, in, to, to go out. While Fung and his family try to figure out how to make his mom feel safe in their neighborhood once again. Nadia Stewart, Global News. Still to come, customers caught in a tug of war over gym fees. I just want to cancel my membership. Watch what happens when Consumer Matters puts a little muscle into it, hoping to get some satisfaction. Also tonight, the study that was supposed to put an end to the debate over salmon farms, why the science isn't settled yet. Traffic is steady in both directions over here tonight at the Patello Bridge. Do keep in mind, though, that right underneath it on the new Westminster side, Front Street is closed from end to end. Take Columbia or Royal Avenue instead. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and real Canadian superstores throughout B.C. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Patello Bridge. Well, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, there have been a lot of questions about gym memberships, including many members from Fitness World who have been reaching out to our newsroom. And while several of the gyms have reopened under the new ownership, some have not. And that's causing a lot of frustration for those wanting to cancel their contracts. With more, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Thanks, Sophie. The Fitness World members we've spoken with say when it comes to canceling their memberships, they are getting the runaround. Many say their phone calls and emails are going unanswered, yet they are still getting charged monthly gym fees. But we aren't the only ones receiving complaints. Turns out Consumer Protection BC, which regulates fitness contracts in this province, is also investigating. I just want to cancel my membership right now, and I just like to know how to do that. Bev Almer says canceling her Fitness World membership has been an uphill battle. As a loyal fitness club member since 2004, she says she wants to cancel her membership and her husband's because he's now in a nursing home. I've got no communication back from them from anything. Phone numbers I phone are not in service or not the correct place or nobody answers. After her membership was temporarily frozen for several months at no charge by the gym due to COVID-19, she says in August, without any notification from the company, membership fees from Fitness World appeared on her credit card bill. Perhaps more surprising, the gym she goes to is closed. Because I'm not going to pay for something that's not there. We dropped by Bev's gym at this Fitness World along Lowheat Highway in Coquitlam. The doors were locked. The mail piling up at the entrance. The only notice was this one dated back in March, informing members the gym was temporarily closing due to the pandemic. Dan Holloway shares Bev's frustration. He's since left Fitness World, but says he's been trying to cancel his gym membership contract with no success. He says Fitness World is still charging his credit card. It's near impossible. It's like, I don't, I don't know what to do. I mean, you should be able to contact somebody. Um, and speak with someone.
Consumer Protection BC, whose job is to regulate fitness contracts in the province, has confirmed to Consumer Matters it's investigating the business practices of Fitness World when it comes to their contracts. Well, we became aware of the, an issue that people were having and we just wanted to take a look at their contracts because we're responsible for what needs to be in those contracts. The Better Business Bureau has also been looking into Fitness World since March, giving the company a D-minus rating. The BBB says many consumers were left in limbo during the transfer of ownership from Steve Nash, plus the general closure of businesses due to COVID. Consumer Matters reached out to Fitness World on Bev and Dan's behalf and also asked several questions, including its response to the lack of customer service and how members could successfully cancel their memberships. We were told the Fitness World team would be reaching out to Bev and Dan, but our other questions went unanswered. Dan says his credit card now shows a pending credit. Bev says after we reached out, she received an email stating she would get reimbursed for the month of August and her membership and her husband's would be cancelled. It's really good that someone's out there and helping people get what's fair for them. Meantime, Consumer Protection BC says consumers do have cancellation rights when it comes to cancelling gym contracts. For more information on gym memberships, you can go to consumerprotectionbc.ca. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Up next, the debate over fish farms and whether they're a risk to wild salmon. The science that we have suggests that these farms are a risk. But that's not what the DFO says. So who's right and who's wrong? And it was the 1970s crime of the decade, the stroke of luck that saved the little girl from months of torture. 60 years of bringing you the stories that shape our history. 60 years of Global BC. In partnership with Connect Hearing, your hearing is important. Is steady in both directions over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge, but it looks like there's a stalled vehicle here southbound at the north end, just at the tail end of the Cliveden on ramp. Kermat Collision and Auto Glass have been family run and locally owned since 1973. For unmatched quality repairs and exceptional service, choose Kermac. For location information, visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Wilson in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Quickly, we want to return to our top story, a dramatic rescue at Capilano River this afternoon. A number of people swept into the water. Tragically, one man has died. Earlier this afternoon and without warning, water was released from the Capilano Dam at full force. It roared down the canyon, sweeping people, five people into the water. Two people managed to self-rescue. Two others were pulled to safety by search and rescue. And police are confirming one fatality. Survivors tell us it was all calm and then suddenly the water came up in a matter of minutes. My friend Daniel and his dad is in big trouble because... They cannot um, get back to the shore in time uh, due to the fast ri- rising water. So I just yell at them and then uh, ask them to reach for safety. But I know there are more uh, fishermen um, down the stream. And then I see a couple guys are running for their life. Uh, details are still coming in, but Metro Vancouver says it happened during maintenance at the dam. We, of course, will bring you more details on this story on later newscast tonight. Absolutely. All right, now to another battle brewing over farmed salmon in B.C. as a deadline passes for the removal of 18 open net farms near Campbell River. As Linda Ellsworth reports, the debate is over whether or not the farms pose a significant risk to the health of wild salmon. 
Over a decade ago, the fact that only one and a half million sockeye salmon returned to the Fraser River was shocking enough to spur the federal government to create the Cohen Commission of Inquiry. Fast forward to this year, we're expecting about 270-odd 100,000 fish to return. Among the potential reasons for their plummeting numbers, diseases and parasites created in salmon farms, which Justice Cohen addressed with this recommendation. Fraser River sockeye were being more than minimally affected. The salmon farms in the Discovery Islands region should be closed by September 30th of this year. That deadline recently passed, and yet the open net farms continue to operate in the Discovery Islands off Campbell River. The Salmon Farmers Association says it's because fisheries and oceans assess the impact of nine pathogens, and the work clearly shows that ocean-based salmon farms pose no more than a minimal risk of serious harm to wild salmon. We believe the science is clear that they do pose more than a minimal risk. That's not all that conservation groups and First Nations are questioning, because there were originally 10 pathogens that fisheries and oceans were going to assess. One that was not studied was sea lice. Sea lice are clearly a problem, and they're out of control. The farms are not able to control them within the parameters that have been set by government right now. That's because sea lice are becoming increasingly resistant to chemical delousers like slice. The recent findings of independent biologist Alexandra Morton. That 99% of the outmigrating juveniles were infected with lice at levels that would probably kill them. Federal and provincial government do not follow the recommendations by the Conan Inquiry to deal with these situations. We will not hesitate to go back to court. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. It's possibly another step forward in tackling the homelessness and addiction crises in downtown Vancouver. A former hotel on Granville Street is now supportive housing for more than 100 people. And as Jordan Armstrong reports, it's hoped it's all part of the solution to make the community more safe while also dealing with one of two current health emergencies. So when this was a hotel, this was the ATM. Correct, yes. What is it now? It's a safe medication dispensing machine. A scan of a registered user's hand dispenses a safe dose of hydromorphone, a medicinal alternative to heroin. What's up these stairs? So this is our overdose prevention site. Just above the main lobby. We have cookers, distilled waters, disposal, uh, sharp disposal containers. Is a monitored space where users can inject. And this is monitored 24-7. Correct. Yeah, the, uh, our staff comes here every 15 minutes and there's a camera there. The Hojo sign came down in June when the BC government bought the building for $55 million to use as an emergency shelter for former residents of the Oppenheimer encampment. Almost immediately, there were neighborhood complaints of disorder, violence and bear bangers. Finding a balance between fighting the opioid crisis plus homelessness and neighborhood concerns is tough says Dr. Bonnie Henry. This is our, our most challenging problem right now. She believes the path forward begins with safe supply and supportive housing, which is exactly what's happening now at the old Howard Johnson. Atira operates the building, and its CEO has this to say to any upset neighbors. I would encourage those people, rather than um, focus on and blame folks who are made vulnerable by the system, to rail against the system that makes those folks vulnerable. What kind of supports are available for the residents here? So we have uh, healthcare support workers and they provide 
outreach and advocacy. Back inside the old hotel, the building has a new name, Lugat, which means people who belong somewhere. And as of Thursday, it is no longer an emergency shelter, but a housing site. Residents are now paying $375 a month to live here. Things are better now. Um, people that were causing problems, um, they go transfer to different locations, different buildings. I think that we're moving towards the right direction. I think that we've learned a lot since the beginning of the project, and I think that we have uh, the baseline of what we need to create a successful program. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. Still ahead, it was a crime that captivated the province. I'm very worried about him getting out of jail. The incredible story of the abduction of Abby Drover and how she survived months of torture. And coming up in sports, how slow starts are spoiling the fun for Whitecaps fans. Google company believes it has found a way to revolutionize the way homes are taken down in Vancouver. What's happening is a deconstruction as opposed to a demolition. And on top of that, a deconstruction with a crane. This 4,000 square foot 1930s home on Elm Street at West 47th Avenue is being salvaged by Unbuilders Deconstruction. The company says all the lumber will be salvaged and fed back into the supply chain instead of the landfill. All fixtures and finishes that were saved have also been donated to Habitat for Humanity for resale. We salvage as much as we possibly can. Whatever we can't salvage, we then feed into the proper recycling streams and minimize waste at the end. Um, so on a few of our houses, we've had over 99% uh, waste diversion, with less than 1% has actually gone to the landfill. The process typically takes three weeks to disassemble by hand, but with the crane, the company says it takes less than a week. Unbuilders says it's the first time this has been done in a residential setting. Cool. cool. All right, let's check in with Yvonne Shell now for a look at our weather forecast. Little bit of a glow in the sky behind you, Yvonne. Yeah, some filtered sunshine. We saw hazy conditions. We have smoke in the upper atmosphere, and I'll have the smoke forecast in just a moment. But with it, just before sunset this evening, we've seen spectacular shots. This was the one captured in Green Lake, so thank you so much, Warren. And another one in Pitt Meadows taken by Susan. Now, here's what we are looking at for the smoke forecast. Still hazy uh, for tomorrow, and then hoping to see an improvement and a bit of a shift in the winds as we get in towards the weekend. We do have dry conditions and temperatures are going to continue to be on the rise. A quick glance at what we're seeing on the future cast. The majority and the bulk of the moisture will be along the northern half of the province. It picks up for the morning hours, continuing to be unsettled and then dry for the central and southern half of the province. South coast tomorrow, another warm one with a bit of filtered sunshine. So the northern half of the province, there is where we're seeing the wet weather. Much of the central interior will be hanging on to a fair bit of cloud cover. The southern interior tomorrow with hazy conditions warming up the highs closer to 26 degrees for areas near Kamloops. Along the south coast, bit of a blip, maybe along the western edge of Vancouver Island with a bit of drizzle. We are seeing fog once again for the morning hours, dissipating, hazy for tomorrow. Hoping to see some breaks and a nice clearing on the way, but warm and sunny for our five-day forecast. All right, tonight's weather window, central windows, a fantastic shot that was captured in New Westminster of the Moon. So thank you so much, Colin. Guys? Wow, eerie kind of. It is. Mm. All right, uh, the Southsiders and all the other Whitecaps fans are cheering them on from afar these days. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, as I said earlier, they're more like the Vancouver-Washington Whitecaps than the Vancouver Whitecaps. They're in Seattle this Saturday, a game where the Whitecaps are going to be need, need to be, I should say, way better than lately to have a chance to win. It has to be a, 
gladiator type of mindset. Well, lately they have been anything but gladiators, especially at the start of games. Also ahead, our look back at the 1970s and the crime of the decade, the abduction of a little girl and the twist of fate that saved her. It's an oldie but a goodie. Talking about Squire's tie. Mm -hmm. My tie, right? Not me? Uh, Well, both. You're goody. Not so sure if that's an insult or actually a compliment. I'll think about that. Uh, The Vancouver Washington Whitecaps are in Seattle this Saturday against a team that leads the league in goals scored. And that makes for bad math because the Whitecaps have allowed the second most goals in MLS. A lot of that is allowed not too long after kickoff either. Do something different in the warm-up and the pre-game to make sure that we don't start the first 15 minutes like uh, like zombies, I would call it. It has been a horror show for sure for the Whitecaps against LAFC. They conceded four goals in the first 15 minutes in a 6-0 thrashing. And last week versus Portland, they got scored on just five minutes in. And even though they didn't give up any more goals, they lost and were chasing the game from the outset. To start a game in the first five minutes already down, you're climbing up a big mountain there. And I think, you know, keeping it 0-0 as long as possible in an away game is very important too. The Whitecaps have nine matches left and likely need to win at least five to get in the playoffs. That is a tall order considering they're playing all of them away from home and against very stiff competition. It will be a serious test of this team's resolve. The mindset has to be second to none. It has to be a gladiator type of mindset fighting through so much pain and uncomfortable moments. It has to be ugly at times. We're going to have to find solutions the best we can. Seattle might not be the top scoring team in the league. I might have made a mistake there, but they're pretty close to the top. Uh, Denis Shapovalov taking on Roberto Carbeas-Baina. And this was a marathon. Five hours. Shapovalov had a 6-5 lead in the fifth, but uh, Carbeas-Baina broke right back with a passing shot, and then he won it in five sets. So no men left from Canada on the single side, but Foshek Pospisil did win his doubles match with Jack Sock over Shapovalov and his partner later in the day. Women's side, though, we still have two of ours going. Eugenie Bouchard and 18-year-old Leila Annie Fernandez taking on Slovenia's Polona Herzog. Now, remember, last year, while she was a junior, Fernandez won the French Open junior title. And she is moving on to the third round. After splitting the first two sets, she would win the third set. Right there. Well done. She's on to round number three. Baseball playoffs. This is a deciding game in Oakland. A's and White Sox. Tommy LaStella. I got it. I got it. I got it. No, I don't got it. Yes, I got it. Nice catch. Just like we saw in round Keep one. your eye and apparently your shoulder on the ball. This young woman has a lot of fight in her. Four, four, fifth inning. This actually is the winning hit for Chad Pinder. A couple of runs are going to come across the score, so the A's move on to the next round. There you go. All right. Hustling in. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a decades-old crime that still haunts the community today as we look back on 60 years of bringing you the news.
Global BC's 60th anniversary in partnership with Connect Hearing, the number one physician-referred hearing provider. Well, tonight we continue to look back on the 1970s, and tonight it's the crime of the decade involving the disappearance of a little girl. Abby Drover was walking in her Port Moody neighborhood when she was abducted and kept hidden in a dungeon for months. As Ted Chernecki reports, it was a crime that was only solved by timing and a keen-eyed cop. In 1976, 12-year-old Abby Drover was offered a ride to school by a man who lived a two-minute walk from her house in Port Moody. Instead, Donald Alexander Hay took her to a homemade bomb shelter below his garage. He would keep her there for 181 days, repeatedly raping her and often starving her of food and water. He would even participate in the searches for Abby and then return to his den of torture. BCTV's Mike McArdle was working the day she was freed. It was in a garage, under a workbench, under a trap door and down a shaft and then through a heavy door and there was a cell. But all I remember was the metal bed frame and handcuffs that were attached to it. Hay was 39 years old when he was arrested and eventually sentenced to life in prison. When there came the possibility of parole, Abby Drover spoke publicly. I'm very worried about him getting out of jail and um, I'd like to make sure that he doesn't. I have a message for all victims. If you are a victim of crime or trauma and you need help to cope in any way, please contact your local police victim services program. As crime stories go, Drover's abduction was particularly heinous, a story expected from the macabre, crime-ridden underworlds of larger cities. But there it was, in our own backyard. And Abby Drover may not have been the only victim. The charges stem back to the 1970s. Three girls, then between the ages of 5 and 17, testified they were raped or sexually assaulted by Hay. The story resurfaced when it was suggested the crowd had cut a deal and four or five other charges were either dropped or stayed. But the police chief at the time says there was no need for a deal. His pants fell down around his ankles when he came out of the hole and Abby came up behind him and he, he grabbed for a gun on the wall. We don't, need, we don't need any further evidence. We got it all there. We don't make a deal with him or anybody else. They may have caught Hay with his pants down, but as Mike McCardle reported, it came so close to not catching him at all. Police had gone to the garage after Hay's wife called them. Officers couldn't find Hay and were about to leave. She insisted they go back to the garage. At the same moment, Donald Hay was coming up from the bomb shelter after being with Abby. He saw the police coming toward him. He turned and ran back to get under the workbench and to get down into the shaft. One of the cops saw his shoe disappear under that bench. He had one second to see it. Hay would spend the rest of his life in prison, dying in 2012 at the age of 79. Abby Drover would go on to change her name, have one child of her own, and four stepchildren. She would courageously speak publicly to help other victims. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Incredible strength. Yeah, so brave. Hey, before we go tonight, we want to recognize the departure of one of the leaders of our newsroom. Jill Crop is officially off to enjoy other adventures. It is time to take a look at our weather forecast. The News Hour. Good evening. 
Welcome back to a special edition of Unfiltered. She's done it all here. And uh, yesterday, Jill signed off after 23 years at Global BC and 35 years in journalism. She anchored a number of programs here, including a decade at the helm of NewsHour Final. And of course, most recently, she was our illustrious leader, our news director and station manager. We had a very small, physically distant send off for her here yesterday. We already miss you, Jill, but we hope today you enjoyed your first of many restful days off. And that's her original Krieger, Bob Krieger from the province, drawing that for her. Carried a lot of weight in this town. She sure did. <laughs> no doubt she did. Uh, warning, Cole, Dave, she's going to be around a lot more than <laughs> If you need any year. advice on how to handle her, yeah, yeah. no <laughs> doubt. Text us. Uh, last word on weather quickly before we go, maybe. Another hazy day, uh, but dry over the next few, and it is warming up away from the water tomorrow, feeling like 28 degrees. All right, thanks. She'll still be texting us. And she yeah. will. <laughs> right now, all the best, right now. Jill. <laughs> Have a good night, all.